hurt people hurt people, right? You've heard it before, and it's true. People who are hurting people, you can almost inevitably go back and see where they have been hurt themselves. And for either they're, if they're going to be malicious or even if by accidentally they hurt people, they do it because they come from a place of hurt. And so it is with the story, so it is with the story of, of Joseph. It's the story of Joseph. How indeed God can move him from a place of extreme hurting to a place of being able to help from a place of, of not really being able to move to a place of, of, of blessing many, including his own family and, and nations surrounding him. God uses his story. And so our prayer for this series, our prayer for ourselves, is that God would touch us where we are right today. Wherever we are is where God wants us to be right this second and to touch our hearts and to move us in the direction of healing now make no bones about it, as I said just a second ago. The Bible talks over and over again about how we are hurting, about how we are broken, about how none of us have it all together. And on, on a Sunday morning when we all come to church and, and, and so forth, it seems like some of us have it all together, but the reality is we don't. We don't have it all together. And in fact, it, it would be a lie to say we did. The reason why we celebrate communion is to, is to acknowledge our need of Jesus, right? To know that we had to have Jesus in our life for us, for our lives to be okay, for Jesus to do a work of redemption in our life. So as I was thinking about this series and thinking about this sermon today, it's like all kinds of thoughts rushed into my head. What can we talk about? And the, the truth of the matter is, the truth of the matter is, is that if we're going to be a blessing uh, to others, we first of all have to make sure that we're doing okay on the inside. Not that we have it all together, but that we understand that we too are wounded and indeed in need of a, a Savior. My, my wife has been uh, teaching uh, psychology students now for, for many years, and especially in a, in a grad program at Trinity. And if you've ever had her for a class, you, you know uh, she's pretty good at, at what she does. And, and oftentimes she'll make a comment, uh, and I, I'm paraphrasing because I can't quite you know, get the Cuban thing going, but... Uh, she makes a comment about, you know, this person would be a good, a, a good therapist if they would only deal with their issues. That their people are going to be a therapist, but they haven't looked at their own stuff, right? And uh, and I'm a chaplain full time, and my my job is at the West Kendall Baptist Hospital. I'm a director of pastoral care, and this is the wounded healer theme is a theme that we we talk about in chaplaincy. When I was studying to be a chaplain. Uh, this is, a, you know, I can't walk into a room uh, of someone who's of someone who's passing away, and I have unresolved issues about the people in my life who've passed away. And all of a sudden, I'm going to be breaking down in the room, and it's like my mind is somewhere else, and I'm not able to help the people who are going through the loss. You see what I'm saying? It's a sort of a, a kind of an important theme, and you know, I can't just uh, take my experience as someone who's gone through illness or had someone in the ICU or something like that, and take that and put that on every person I meet because that's you know tr what the psychologists would call transference, and, and the idea is that that that's not that's not helping somebody. So you know, I just for uh, just a kind of a crazy example, I. Walk into a patient's room and they have uh, they've had gallbladder surgery. They're uh, approaching gallbladder surgery and they're worried about it and they're concerned about gall you know and so forth. Oh man, I had gallbladder surgery you know ten years ago. And I was fine. There's nothing to worry about. You know, well that's a patty answer, but it's not a very good answer and it's not a very good chaplain answer because how do you know why that person is upset about them having gallbladder surgery? Maybe they've gone through years of tests and and no one has figured out what's wrong with them. 
And the gallbladder surgery is just kind of a shot in the dark to try to fix something they think exists. Maybe the person's had five other surgeries before this year trying to figure out what's going on. Maybe the person has a loved one who had gallbladder surgery who died in surgery. We have no idea. So when I go into the room and say everything's going to be okay, I'm making a false promise based on a false premise that everyone has exactly the same experience that I have. Does that make sense? And we have to be very careful about that. And so the wounded healer, as God brings us through certain things in our lives, there are lessons that we can learn and lessons that we can share. But most of all, we want God to use us where we are. So all that said, all that said, we took to the story of Joseph in Genesis 42. And depending on how our day goes, we may sneak into Genesis 43. But I want to just make a couple of points today with you this morning. First of all, this. God moves us past forgetting. The wounded healer is someone who moves past forgetting. I don't want to re-preach the sermon from last week, but it was really good. You need to listen to it on the podcast. Uh, but do you know the story of Joseph? If you don't know the story of Joseph, I will summarize it in a nutshell. This was a guy who was born uh, in a dysfunctional family. I mean, dysfunction on steroids, right? The idea was, was that Jacob, his father, had a favorite wife. That means he had multiple wives, right? He had multiple wives, but he had a favorite wife, and the favorite wife had a son called Joseph, and so Joseph became the favorite son. Now, was that Joseph's fault? Did Joseph ask for that? No, he just was born into it. And so Joseph was the guy who had the code of many colors, right? He was born into that. And his brothers, as a result, really just embraced him and said, you're the favorite, God bless you, we're, we're all behind you 100%, right? No, not at all. They hated Joseph. This kid is the favorite. And Joseph makes at least one mistake early on. He has these dreams about all my brothers and sisters and my parents bowing down and worshiping me. And he makes the mistake of sharing that with the brothers who hate him. Big mistake. Now, I have an experiment. I'm not going to run the experiment here, but it's a hypothesis. Your reaction to the Joseph story, when you hear about him being the favorite and so forth, your reaction to the Joseph story may show where you are in your family tree. I have noticed, and this is not scientific, it's just a hypothesis. I have noticed that if you're one of the older kids in the family, Joseph really bothers you because he's the favorite. Because, you know, I mean, this, you know, you know the, younger, the younger kids in the family are always the favorites, right? That's the way the older kids feel. Right? There's some family dysfunction, right? And so, and the younger kids tend to think people who are born at kind of the end of the family tree, or the fa end of the family line, they kind of think Joseph is cool. And so you go about, you go about thinking about it, and that's just a hypothesis, and one day we'll test it out. But the thought is, is that I've seen a lot of different reactions. Ah, Joseph is a spoiled brat. Joseph, Joseph was a rotten kid. He was spoiled rotten. His father, his father put him in a bad place and so forth. And, and you know, I hear, I hear what you're saying when people say that. Now see, I'm there's six of us in my family. I'm number five. So you can guess what I think. <laughs> but now, test out Joseph being a spoiled brat for just a second. He's thrown into a pit by his brothers, sold into slavery, ends up in Egypt in the house of Potiphar. And all of a sudden, Potiphar's wife comes on to him. 
if, he, if Joseph was truly a spoiled brat and Potiphar's wife comes on to him, what does the spoiled brat say? The spoiled brat says, Potiphar's wife comes on to me. Obviously, I'm really good looking. Potiphar, oh, obviously, you know what? My brothers did all these horrible things to me. I deserve something good to happen to me. And Potiphar's wife showing me some attention. You know what? I'm just going to take it. If you were a spoiled brat, that's what he would have done. But if you read the story over and you read it closely, what does Joseph say when Potiphar's wife makes all these advances on him? He says, God forbid that I should do this. How can I sin against both God and, and my owner by sleeping with his wife? I mean, he was much more verbal at that point than a lot of us would have been who'd been like running for the door. And he's, he goes out of his way to say, God, no, no, I can't do this. I would be disobeying God. So whether it was wise for Joseph to share his dreams or not, I'm not sure he's a spoiled brat. And whatever the case is, what we're going to notice when you look at the story of Joseph is that he matures. And so he goes and, and Potiphar's wife makes this accusation against him, which was totally false, right? And so where does Joseph end up? He ends up in prison. He ends up in prison. He meets some people in prison who can help him get out of prison. Those people forget about him. It's a terrible story. Every turn where Joseph has something happen to him, it's something that's happening to him bad. If you take his birth and in, in in being the favorite child as like the start of a good life, every other turn is a bad turn. It's a bad turn. It's a bad turn. Eventually, he becomes the prime minister of Egypt because he's able to interpret dreams, if you remember the story. And so Joseph becomes to a place of prominence. And you read in Genesis 41, verse 50, before the year of famine came, Two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On, bore them to him. So Joseph gets married in Egypt, and he's going to have two children. And the first child, verse 51 of chapter 41, Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. Why? For he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. As far as Joseph is concerned, Genesis could end at chapter 41. I don't know if you follow just my line of thinking here for a second. I don't know where you've been or what valleys you've walked through or the things that may have happened to you, the bad things. But we live in a world, and I assume that we all have a level of wound in this that, that we receive in this world. It seems to me that really the highest goal that we could have some days is just to be able to forget the pain of the past. There's some things that happen that are so traumatic and so painful and so dreadful. My, the highest goal for us during the day is just to get past the day and try to forget about the lousiness that happened to us, right? Does that make sense? Joseph, if you line up the stuff that happens to him, being sold into slavery being falsely accused and thrown into prison, being forgotten time and time again at every corner. He finally reaches a point where he's able to get married and he's able to have a family, and I'm able to forget Manasseh. 
I'm going to name my son Manasseh because I wanna, I've forgotten everything that's happened. That's something we hope for. I, I, can, I am not the expert on suffering and pain. I am not. Uh, but the things that have happened in my life, uh, there have been a couple of things that I want to forget, right? And there are days when, when I do a really good job of forgetting them, you know, uh, stuff, family stuff, or work stuff, or, you know, you, you know, whatever. And you try to do a good job of forgetting them, but it could be, and I think the theme of the wounded healer is that God wants us to move past simply forgetting. Oh, that's a lot. <laughs> really, God? Really, God? I've done everything I possibly can in my human life to forget the bad stuff. And my wife can tell you some stories about things I've blocked out of my head, right? And it's, how did you do that? I said, well, you, the brain's a very powerful thing. And if something's really bad and it really hurt badly, you know, you can block it out really well. And so Joseph has forgotten. He has forgotten. But Genesis doesn't end at 41, does it? Its story goes on. In Genesis 42, in the passage that was read today, the, the thought is, is that you know, Jacob's, Jacob's sons are starving. Jacob is starving. He sends off the ten sons uh, to Egypt to buy some grain. They heard some grain in the land, because thankfully, because Joseph was a great planter. He was able to sell grain to the people and to the nations and so forth. It says in verse 6 that, of chapter 42 that Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and he spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? He said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And in verse 9 it says, Joseph, what's the word? Remembered. He remembered the dreams he had dreamed. I circle that word. I highlight that word. I've spent all my life trying to forget the misery of those brothers. I've spent all my life trying to forget how they hurt me. They wanted me dead. They took everything that was precious from me and they sent me to a place where I didn't know the language, where I was treated harshly. I've done everything in my power to forget. And God, thank you for helping me forget. But now, God, why are you opening this door so I can remember? Stop it, God, stop it. And it just takes a little crack in the dam, doesn't it? Of a memory. And you know there's going to be another crack. And another crack. And all of a sudden, this thing that you were on top of, because you'd forgotten everything, is now a rushing stream over you. Now, I have looked at all kinds of commentaries and stuff on, on Genesis 42 or, or, or scholarly writing of 42, and they, it's hard to know exactly to make exactly what Joseph does here, but there's a sense where he spoke roughly to them in verse 7, and then he says, and then he, then he talks about accusing them of spies, and in verse, in verse 12, he talks about your spies, and he said, no, we're honest men, we're honest men, we're spies. And there's a sense where some people hold, and I'm not exactly sure how I feel about this, but I think, I think it makes some sense to me that when the 
memory started coming back of all of the things that were going on in Joseph's past that Joseph reacted the way we might have reacted. You guys were rotten. Guess what? I'm in charge now. I'm going to treat you rotten. You throw me in with the wild animals or, or pretend the wild animals kill me. You sell me off to Ishmaelites and Midianites. You let, me, you let me rot in prison. You let all those things happen to me. Now you're going to suffer at the hands of Joseph, the prime minister. Very interesting what it does here. Notice what it says in verses 12 to 16. He Actually, let's go straight to 16. He says, send one of you. There's 10 brothers there, right? Send one of you and let him bring your other brother, the bro Benjamin. Let him bring him while you remain confined that your words may be tested whether there is truth in you or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them all together in custody for three days. So his original plan was all 10 of you in jail, right? Or nine of you in jail, in prison. One of you gets to go back, bring Benjamin back, and then I'll think about letting you guys go. But notice in verse 18, on the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live, for I fear God. So God moves us past forgetting by bringing us reminders of the past, right? But God also helps us by reminding us that he's there with us right now as we face our past. If I were circling words in my Bible or underlining them or taking notes on the words, in verse 18, I think the key word is God. Do this and you will live for I fear God. If you go back and read the Joseph story, it's a really a story of divine providence. Providence is a theological word that, that we all experience, but we don't talk about it necessarily. Providence is how God works behind the scenes. Not everything with God is a big miracle and flat, you know, lightning bolts and the earth opening up. You know, that, not everything's like that, right? God works sometimes behind the scenes, oftentimes in our lives, behind the scenes in ways that are really unspeakable or unknowable to us. And all of a sudden, God's will is still done. So Joseph's story is God working behind the scenes to accomplish his will. And Joseph, at some level, recognizes this. And what's really important to you and to me and to all of us as we want to become wounded healers. We're wounded already, let's become healers, right? The idea is, is that let us not forget the work of God in our past and the work of God in our present. And he tells his brothers, I fear God. And I don't know if you notice the switch here. He says in verse 19, if you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households and bring your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified and you shall not die. You see what he did to his plan? He switched his plan up. Instead of keeping nine brothers and sending one back, he decided to keep one brother and send the nine back. And why is that? Because... He fears God because he knows when he was in Potiphar's house, God was with him. The text actually says it. 
When he was in jail after Potiphar's wife accuses him falsely, it says God was with him. He understood when he was asked to interpret dreams that God was with him in the interpretation. He didn't say, oh, I'm really smart. I know how to interpret dreams. He says the interpretation of dreams comes from God. So he was very well aware of God, and we too need to be well aware of God. Admittedly, if you revisit that painful time where you were hurt, if you look at the past and say, man, this was awful or this was dreadful, I wasn't sure what happened here, one of the questions that goes along with it is where was God when that was happening, right? Where was God? When you ask the question, where is God, you are not a wicked blasphemer. When you ask the question, where is God, you join the ranks of some of the very authors of the Bible who going through heartache and going through sorrow and going through pain ask the question, where are you? The Psalms are filled with references to that. Read the prophet Jeremiah just for a few chapters. He says, God, you've deceived me because things were not turning out very well for him. There's over and over and over again in the Scripture is people crying out, where is God? That's okay to do that. What God asks in response is that we're willing to listen to what He has to say in response. You know, there's so many times in life, especially in my work in the hospital, where people do ask the questions about why. Why does this happen? And, you know, I wasn't sick. I was very healthy, and all of a sudden I'm sick. Why does this happen? You know, I mean, you know, why does a person, why is a person at a, pass away at a young age from a horrible disease? And all those kinds of questions. And people ask why all the time. And the thought is, the thought is, is that we don't really have a human answer for that. We can talk about the disease killing people, and we don't, you know, diseases are, are not partial about who they affect. They can affect anybody at any time. We can explain that, or accidents happen to everybody. Uh, including the young and the healthy and, and so forth and so on. We don't really do have a, a theological explanation for it except to say that we trust God to be sovereign in a broken world. We trust God to be uh, caring in a broken world and that for those who are suffering and those who are brokenhearted, those who are brokenhearted, that God is there for us. That God is there for us. He is our healer Himself. And so Joseph brings up God. He says, I fear God. And he says, you know, I've changed my plan. He doesn't tell them he changed it, but he did, right? He changes his plan. And then notice what it says in verse 21. Then they said to one another, in truth we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. This is why this distress has come upon us. When you look for God in the midst of your life and you think about where God is bringing you right now or maybe in the past or, or somewhere along life's journey, right? When you are aware of God's presence, that may cue up God's presence for other people too. And all of a sudden, you're starting to open the, open the, uh, the shades in a dark building and the, you're letting the light shine in. And then all of a sudden, we find something out here in verse 21 that we never knew before. That the brothers, they knew God too. And they knew they had done something very wicked. 
If you go back to the early story where, where Joseph was thrown in the pit, we don't hear a peep from Joseph in that story. We hear the brothers arguing, should we kill him? Should we not kill him? Should we wait to, be tra- should we wait to trade him? What should we do? Let's, let's take his coat and put animal blood on it. We don't hear a peep from Joseph in that story. We hear nothing from him. And, and, and you know, if you go with the spoiled brat theory of Joseph, I, you know, the spoiled brat theory is, is that Joseph's in the pen. I'm telling that on you guys. But that's not what happened, is it? Verse 21, we saw his distress. He begged us. He begged us. And we did not listen. So we talked talking about God and what God means and so forth. The brothers become really aware that God's in our in their lives too. And now they're remembering everything that ever happened. And they know that now that they're in prison, that's going to be like when they put Joseph in prison or at least in, in, the, in the cage. And all of a sudden, and all of a sudden, the dam is broken, hasn't it? Everything's coming back to Joseph. It is all coming back. And so the points today are that God moves us past forgetting by giving us reminders of the past. A wounded healer, point two, remembers that God walks with us as we face our past. Joseph took the time to invoke God's name in a meaningful way and it stirred up the hearts of his brothers. But you also have to know, as we talk about a wounded healer, the journey of the wounded healer often brings tears. Joseph is not letting them know he speaks Hebrew. He's the Egyptian guy. He has aged and matured over, over, over the years. And now, and now, his brothers have no idea it's him. Everything they've said in Hebrew, Joseph was hearing through an interpreter. He didn't know. Verse 23, they did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. And he turned away from them and he wept. This is not the fun sermon, is it? It's not. But it's real. When you deal with your past, as we look to the present and to the future, when we think about what God's work in our life is, there very well may come a time of tears. If you fast forward one chapter to Genesis 43, all of a sudden they send one brother home, or they send the brothers home, one brother stays in Egypt, and they finally bring, after coaxing Jacob, they bring Benjamin to meet Joseph. And Joseph, uh, Joseph lifts up his eyes in 43.29, and he saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Again, Joseph invoking the name of God. And then Joseph, verse 30, hurried out for his compassion. This is 43.30. Grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber, and he wept there. 
when God is dealing with us and our past and he is showing us our place of woundedness and and being hurt, when God does those things for us, we are going to experience pain emotional pain and spiritual pain and even sometimes physical pain because we are one you know and it all affects the other and it's okay no i'm a i'm a man i'm a middle-aged man middle-aged men don't cry right now when i get older i may but i remember clearly being taught as a little guy boys don't cry boys don't cry that's a shameful thing to cry now if you're crying to get your way (laughs) that's kind of the spoiled cry but if you're crying because you're hurt that's quite a different thing god acknowledges our tears god acknowledges our pain our world is bound and determined to convince us that whatever pain we have in our life, we can cover it up by any one of a number of artificial means. And some of us try to self-medicate, right? And some of us, you know, just try to forget and block our minds out, block our minds out of stuff that may have happened. But when God brings it up and when God is dealing with, it is okay to cry. It is okay, because you know what the Psalms say? The Psalms say that God keeps a record of our tears. The world doesn't want you to cry. That makes them uncomfortable. Don't don't make me uncomfortable. My life goal is to be comfortable 24-7, right? The world doesn't want us to do it. God invites us to. And when God touches the depth of our heart and the depth of our soul and the depth of our spirit, when He touches us in that way and He exposes those things for us, maybe things we haven't thought about in years, when God does that for us, naturally there's going to be what? Tears. And whether, whether you know, and you see Joseph. Joseph is like, I can't let them see him cry. But you know what? The text shows it and we all know he was. And it's okay. I want you to think about... Um, what it says at the end of time in the book of Revelation. Because we think, we think about this passage a lot. I know when people are passing or when I do funeral services for believers, I know that, that people love this, these chapters, right? I saw a new heaven and a new earth in Revelation 21. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adored for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And in Revelation 21, verse 4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. We're not there yet. We live in the world of crying and pain and mourning and all those things and death. 
We lose our loved ones and they pass. We experience pain and heartache and we cry. We experience all these things, but our God is committed to our healing. And we have moments of peace and moments of joy and moments of of healing. And Joseph was able to live it out. We will too. God loves you, child of God. He loves you. He's going to wipe away those tears one day. Right now, he knows about them. And he actually is in the business, in the redemptive business of binding the broken heart. It's not all complete yet, but it will be one day. I have to, just as I close, just share a struggle that I have sometimes thinking about this story. I'm not preaching from Genesis 50. That's later, right? But we read, read ahead, right? Read ahead. Genesis 50. We know there's a nice ending to Joseph and his brothers. I think sometimes that that ending is going to be true of us too. But it may not be true of us in this life. One of the most painful things I've ever experienced in life was the expectation that a story was going to have a good redemptive ending. But because of a premature death, we didn't get to Genesis 50. We get to Genesis 42, 43, right? We're working on it. I saw the end. I saw it was going to be okay. And then all of a sudden it was ended and the story wasn't completed. I'm thinking, I can't be the only guy in the world that that's happened to. That you wanted a complete story. You wanted to be like Joseph. You wanted to be a wounded healer. You wanted to, and, and, and all of a sudden it ended. For whatever reason, that the ability, whether it was a death or, or some uh, huge separation, and it wasn't able, it wasn't solvable, right? That brought me into a point of terrible depression in my life. Terrible depression. And where the best days of my life were the days where I forgot about going through that. <laughs> like, God, just remove it from my mind. But God wouldn't let me forget. God brought back memories. And he brought a lot of tears. And if you find yourself in that situation today, where you, you don't, you know, the hope for Genesis 50 isn't quite there for you, rest assured in this that the loving God of all the universe, your Savior, loves you. And that things that we hoped would have been resolved here on this side of eternity will be resolved on the other side of eternity. And that the God of all peace is still in control. And one day, that peace will be known everywhere for all people. I hate unresolved stories. I'm so glad Revelation's in the Bible. It gives me hope. Hope that is so big and so wonderful. It allows us to work through our pain, work through our tears. It allows us to be wounded healers. So this week, as you talk to people and you think about people and you, you deal with people who obviously are hurt and wounded, I know it's frustrating, and I know some people are very annoying, right? Pray for them. Ask God what you can do to bless them. And in so doing, be blessed yourself. Let us pray.